0: Good evening, you're on on the radio with Divorce and Family Law Talk Radio Show. My name is Attorney Vincent Davis, and tonight we are doing our first talk radio show regarding divorce and family law issues. Tonight we are going to have a couple of special guests. Actually, they're my co-hosts. We have Attorney um, Raj Martani, and um, Attorney Slavea Ankova. Uh, Both of them will be talking later on in the show about different aspects of family law. One of the first things that I want to talk about is why we're doing this show. We are doing this show to help people people with their family law cases. And uh, it's important that when people have a family law or divorce case, Um, that they get expert and experienced legal advice. Um, It's also important that sometimes you may want to get a second opinion about a specific case or a specific case issue. So you you should always have the opportunity to talk to an attorney who can give you a second opinion on things. It's important that whenever you're involved in a divorce or a family law matter, Uh, that you get the the necessary information uh, that you need for this type of case. Now, we provide some information at our website. Um, You can download. I've written two uh, books about family law and the divorce process, and you can download at our website uh, those two books for your um, uh, enjoyment or use in your case. You can also um, have a meeting with an attorney, uh, hopefully your own attorney or another attorney, where you can strategize about your case before any court hearing and really before any court trial. I want to bring on the line with us right now Attorney Raj Matani and Attorney Slavea Ankoba. Uh, Raj and Slavea, are you there?
1: Yeah, I'm here. Good evening.
0: Thank you for joining me this evening. Um, Raj and Slavea, one of the first things I want you guys to do for our audience is I want you to, uh, to discuss, uh, give us a little description of your background, your personal background as well as your professional background. So, Raj, why don't you go first?
1: Uh, sure. Um my name is Raj Matani. Um, I'm a Southern California uh, resident been for my whole life. Um, I went to law school down in San Diego at Thomas Jefferson School of Law, and I've been a uh, predominantly family law attorney since 2013. Please. I, I work with Vincent Suavea covering a, a variety of issues, and um, we're going to be specifically speaking about um the concerns of domestic violence uh, as it relates to family law this evening.
0: Well, thank you, Rosh. Slovea, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, personal life, and your professional.
2: Sure. My name is Slovea Yankulova. I've been an attorney since uh, 2009. I have practiced family law exclusively for approximately the last three years. Uh prior to being an attorney I lived in Seattle and prior to that I lived in Bulgaria. And now um I dedicate my time basically to my practice and my family.
0: Okay, well thank you. You're welcome. Raj, we're gonna just jump right in and and talk a little about, about uh domestic violence for the listeners. Um what happens um if you're a victim of domestic violence in a family law matter what should you do
1: Um I think the first piece of advice that I would give anyone is if you're impacted with a serious domestic violence issue or if you're you're in it and you don't know what to do um is to speak up So um problems exist you can't fix a problem if nobody knows it's going on So the first thing is to Um, Tell somebody. There's lots of ways to do that. Um, The CDC has a domestic violence hotline. There are um, various other um, outlets and resources within your community that you can use to either discuss what's going on in your situation or or, or seek some advice. And then the next step is if if something gets serious and and you don't know how to deal with it, is to call the police Um, because having a documented event of what exactly happened um, in a police report can be critical uh, in terms of evidence throughout the domestic violence process.
0: Do you think that, um, well, I'm not going to ask you that because I know in my practice or in our practice, and I've been doing this almost 30 years, a lot of people
1: don't call and
0: report domestic violence to the police. Have you found that to be true?
1: Um, Yeah, it's, it's um it's an unfortunate predicament of of domestic violence is that um there's some shame that goes along with it there's um insecurities about how to exactly deal with it so um you know, like I was saying earlier if, it, if it's not specifically the police um you know speak out and at least you know speak to a counselor, you can speak to um your religious leader, whomever it might be, but um you know the the first step is to not sort of suffer in silence and suffer in solitude um and it takes a lot of strength to do that and it's and it's tough and it's it's easier said than done um but you know you can sort of attack the problem before it gets out of hand if you if you can speak out
0: um, um Would you recommend that people who are victims of domestic violence uh file something with the court for any type of protection?
1: yeah I mean there's um there's a variety of protections that someone can take the The most common and probably most effective is getting a domestic violence restraining order um There are specific steps and procedures, and I think we're gonna get into that um coming up here but um you know the the way to do that is you can have a domestic violence restraining order which gets put into put into the system tells the police that you know whenever 911 is called or whenever police appear that there's a specific person or persons who are prevented from interacting with you and if they violate the order they can be taken to jail.
0: Well what's the first thing I do if I need that type of order from the court?
1: Um the the first thing you you need to do is um file for a domestic violence restraining order. Um these forms are available on the web, or, or you can call our office and we can help you with, with that. But it's called a DV100, um, and it's a pretty simple form that you can fill out step-by-step, step and it you know goes step-by-step step into asking you who you are, who you're asking protection from, um, what are the reasons that you're asking for that protection, and and why.
0: Is that the only form you need?
1: Um that's it's one of several forms that you will need. So, um there's usually a domestic violence uh, assistance center at most of your courthouses that can help you at least compile the forms and all these forms are free. Um and assistance from the courts are free. Um but the the first three forms that you need are the DV100. Um if you need to explain your Case a little further there's an attachment called a DV101 um and then there's uh two two more attachments regarding service called a DV110 and a DV109 and could our
0: listeners look at those forms they can get those forms free at the courthouse but they could also google those forms and uh get yeah. them uh right online right
1: yeah, you can get them right online. So you can go into your preferred search engine, Google, Bing, whatever it might be, and you just t- type in. It's, actually, it's that simple. You type in DV-100, and you'll find a fillable PDF form that um, that you can download and fill. And you can either type it out or handwrite it, um, whatever works easiest for you. Now, once you have all those documents filled out, um,
0: should you have them reviewed by an attorney?
1: Yeah, it's always encouraged to have to have them reviewed. What's critical about these forms is this is what the court is going to rely on in making determinations about your case. So um, you want to be very clear as to what events happened, what order they happened in, how extensive um, the abuse was, whether it was... Physical, verbal, um, mental, whatever it might have been, and um, um, you know all the small events that that uh, that were a part of the incident. Um, you also want to make sure that um, if other persons in your in your home need to be protected, you need to explain why that is. Um, and so it's highly encouraged that you you have these forms reviewed by a qualified legal professional um, to make sure that they can explain to the court in very clear language um why you need the protection
0: now once i fill these paperwork this paperwork out and i have it reviewed by a lawyer um what do i next what do i do next with this paperwork
1: so um the next step is to is to go to the courthouse and file them um there's a couple of ways in which you can get a, get a hearing in front of the court there is an um what we call an ex parte or emergency procedure Um, or there's a non-emergency way. Um, The ex parte is when there's a significant event and you need immediate protection and you go to the courthouse the next day um, and and file the documents. Um, Otherwise, you still need to go to the courthouse, file the documents, get them stamped by the clerk, and then you move on to um, giving notice to the opposing party.
0: And what do you have to prove... Uh, to the judge in order to get your restraining order?
1: So um, there's two steps to the restraining order. Um, The first is whether you're going to be granted a temporary restraining order or for efficiency purposes a TRO, and then you have your permanent restraining order. Um, The way the process works is um, you'll submit those forms that we spoke about, the DV-100 um, and your description of the abuse to the court, and they will make a determination um, based on based on the facts that are alleged, and um, either grant you or deny you a temporary restraining order. Um, that temporary restraining order lasts um, for 20 days or 25 days in exceptional circumstances. And um, and at the end of that time, there will be a hearing, uh, a full hearing on whether that temporary restraining order becomes permanent. Okay.
0: And are there, you know, what are the main two or three things I have to prove to the judge in order to get a restraining order issued or granted? Um,
1: So it's it's the standard of proof um, basically at these two different events are are, um, increasing in nature. So at the temporary restraining order, all that the court's going to be looking at is if there's reasonable proof of past acts of abuse. So um basically on your statements alone or any evidence that you can provide, um pictures or police reports, whatever they might be, um if there is a recent event in which the the court believes there's uh you know a reasonable need for protection, they will more often than not um grant you a temporary restraining order and um, you know, have a full hearing on it in, in 20, 20 to 25 days. Um, and then at the full hearing, which is a, a, a much bigger production in front of the judge, um, the standard of proof is a preponderance of evidence. And what that means is, is there uh, a more than 50% chance that the facts allege or the the person making the allegation is, is correct? And, um it's a much higher standard it's it's harder to prove because the consequences are significant at the final restraining order that restraining order can last anywhere from 1 to 5 years and um it goes into a permanent system that is um you know that can be found out on background checks and um is there within the police systems for that amount of time so you know on the first restraining order you want to show the court that there is something significant that happened very recently and then continuing on to the to the larger hearing is that um you need this protection for an extended amount of time because um you know your your personal safety is jeopardized by the the presence of this other person.
0: Okay, very good. You know, Raj, I'm going to stop you right there for a second. At our next show, I want to talk to you about what to do if you're the person being accused of domestic violence. Okay? Okay. Right now, I'm I'm going to take a call from our audience. Uh, We're kind of backing up here. Hello, you're on Divorce and Family Law Talk Radio Show with Attorney Vincent Davis. Who am I speaking to? Sai. Sai, how are you?
3: I'm good, thank you.
0: Did you call in to ask us a question or to tell us a story?
3: Tell you a story.
0: Okay, go ahead.
3: Um, I hired uh, you guys for um, a custody uh, issue that I was having uh, with my ex-husband and uh you guys represented me and uh we we're still um waiting for the final judgment but uh, i had very pleasant and pleasant representation from your law mm-hmm. firm so Vaya was extremely organized i didn't have to worry about anything and uh, she took. She's very, very professional. The way she helped me out and calmed me down—it's really hard uh, to be in court. But she was very good. I just wanted to thank
0: you. Do, what, now I think I know who you are. Did you guys have a uh, extended trial in your case? Yes. How many days of trial did you have?
3: Uh, first we had three days then it was continued to another three days
0: so you had six days of trial yes and tell tell our listeners you know something about your experience in going to trial in a custody and visitation battle
3: oh it's it's not pleasant to go there and it fun to watch on tv but just going to court it's not fun it's very like very hard uh stressful you have to take time off from work uh find somebody to drop off your kid to school a lot of things and on top of you know uh, it's your son's life and future so it's but uh, you know, you have to go to court to get a better judgment than what you're getting. So I had no other choice but to hire you.
0: And during your trial, about how many witnesses were called to the stand in front of the judge?
3: Oh, it was six or seven. Three monitors. I would say six. 6 or 7 from our side.
0: And did the uh other side the father and his attorney call any witnesses? Yes. And about how many did they call?
3: They called about 3 3, three now,
0: witnesses. Now going into this trial, what were you trying to accomplish?
3: I was trying to I was sharing custody 50/50 but I was uh, asking for full legal and physical uh, custody of my son because of uh, physical and mental abuse
0: yeah. Physical and mental abuse by who on who? Uh
3: by the father on uh my son,
0: our son. So when you say you were going for full physical and full legal custody, what type of visitation did you want the father to have?
3: Uh, I wanted uh, once a week uh, visitation, a couple of hours uh,
0: in front of
3: professional monitor.
0: And what did the judge end up giving the father for visitation?
3: Exactly that, what I asked
0: for. Okay so now he has he sees his son once a week for a couple of hours and it's supervised.
3: Yes. yes. Okay. Supervised.
0: That's very difficult to get in most California family law cases.
3: It Did is you know and uh, yes and uh right after uh your office filed the paper within one week my son was in my home. And even we were interviewed by the CPS uh, because I filed a complaint, and they were very surprised that, wow, it was very fast. And also, to top it off, winning that case, whoever I talked to, they they think that was really unheard of.
0: Was really what?
3: Unheard of like they have a oh, uh, yes like they they were very surprised that the way exactly what i wanted and i got it
0: are you uh, how's your son doing these days on this new visitation He's, with his father
3: actually w- mm-hmm. we were uh, having uh, it was for one year and a half we were uh, going through monitored visit, but the visits weren't pleasant. It was uh, a lot of manipulation from the father's side. Then the minor's attorney and uh, my attorney, which is you, filed uh, papers to the court to suspend that monitored visitation because it was doing more harm than good.
0: I see, I see. You know what, I can't take the credit for that because uh, Slovea did most of that work for us on that case. Yes. Well, I'm glad that you were satisfied with our um, representation, and I appreciate you calling in and sharing with, that with our visitors. Thank you very much.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: Bye-bye. Bye. So, Slavea, that was one of your clients.
2: Yes, and I know exactly who she is, and I thank her for the kind words.
0: That was an awful long trial, as I recall, wasn't it?
2: It was. It lasted for a while, and it went on for uh, from the beginning until we got our actual order. It was about a year and a half.
0: But there was only six days of trial within that year and a half?
2: I think it was about six to nine days, depending on on how you count it.
0: (laughs) We did have a few more appearances,
2: meanwhile, on different requests that were uh, urgent and couldn't wait until we had our evidentiary hearing and final order. So we did have a few more hearings in between the evidentiary hearing.
0: Certainly, certainly. Well, now, you know, she called in and she was talking about custody and visitation. What, Lubea, what can you tell our listeners about custody and visitation in California?
2: Custody and visitation are generally the most thought about issue between uh, parents, which makes sense because children are the most important thing for parents. Um, usually the court wants to make sure that both parents get to see the child um, on a frequent and continuing basis. And unless we have circumstances that would warrant an order that, that is different, the courts generally want to award joint physical and joint legal custody to the parents. So now, if you can demonstrate any circumstances that would uh, convince the court that such an order is not in the best interest of your child, then there's ways to, to get that kind of an order as well. Usually getting an order for anything other than joint legal and physical custody involves a fight, unless of course the parents can agree on that
0: is custody and visitation in California are there any laws on that or you know what does the law say about custody and visitation?
2: The law is very, very extensive. Um, There are statutes created by the legislation as well as numerous cases that discuss and clarify those statutes. So looking at the family code, which is um, where anyone who is um, having issues with custody and visitation should start looking, um, we can get the initial standard that the court considers when making custody and visitation orders. Um, For example, Family Code Section 3011 um, lists specific factors that the court must consider uh, when determining what custody and visitation schedule will be in the child's best interest. Um, And the most important factors are the health, safety, and welfare of the child. Um, The court also has to look at whether um, there's a history of abuse by either of the parents against the child or against the other parents. Um, And the court has to look at the nature and the amount of contact with both parties. Um, Section 3020 of the Family Code then goes on to explain that the public policy of our state is to ensure that minor children have frequent and continuing contact with both parents. Um, They just want to make sure that children get to spend sufficient time... um, with each of their parents, uh, and that's backed up by uh, a myriad of psychological tests which show that uh, children benefit from a lot of contact with both of their parents. Um, And both of those statutes have been subject to numerous, numerous cases uh, which have interpreted them, clarified them, and added on additional factors and considerations um, when making initial custody determinations Um, And, of course, we have modifications of custody and visitation orders, so the list goes on and on.
0: Um, You know, the last caller mentioned that in your trial there was a minor's attorney. Now, they have minor's attorneys in family law cases?
2: They do. Um, They have minor's attorneys in family law cases when the court determines Um, either on its own motion or at the request of a party, that the minor child will benefit from having his own representation. Um, That usually happens in very high conflict cases and in cases where the court needs to hear a little more information directly from the child. Um, In such a case, the court appoints minor's counsel, which um, solely represents the minor child and acts only um, in the best interest of the child. Minors' counsel then is able to be the mouthpiece of of the child to the court and explain what the child wants and what his experiences are and help the court in one more way determine what custody and visitation schedule would be the best.
0: Do judges usually listen to what the minors' counsel has to say?
2: Absolutely. Monitors, I'm sorry, uh, minors' counsel have a lot of sway and pull uh, with the court because they are considered to be um, neutral parties that are not going to be self-serving in their statements to the court. And generally, the actual parties to the case are self-serving in their statements. That's just the nature of litigation. On the other hand, like I said, Minors' counsel um, would not be biased uh, for or against either of the parties. Uh, minors Council would only look at what is in the best interest of the child based on what the child has taught her or him.
0: I see. I see. Now, who are these Minors counsel? for example, in L.A. County or in the different counties that, around California? Who are these people? Um,
2: they are people who have gone through training, um, specifically... Um, to get qualified and licensed as minors' counsel. Um, They have experience in dealing directly with children. They know how to exactly talk to the children so that they um, can get information from them and get the children to open up without putting any additional and unnecessary pressure on them. Um, There are panels from which the court then can appoint minors' counsel. And from my experience... um, the court more often than not will appoint whoever the minors counsel is that's present in the courtroom on the day when the court is appointing minors counsel if such a person is present. And usually judges have um a list of minors counsel and they um they know who they can appoint so that it's an easy and quick determination
0: on the day of the hearing. Right. Now, the last caller mentioned something about um, monitored versus unmonitored, supervised versus unsupervised visitation. What does all of that mean?
2: So monitored visitation or supervised visitation is when we have um, one parent who for some reason the court has determined um, is not safe For the child unless that parent is supervised so in most cases the courts would award both parents frequent and continuing visitation that is unmonitored um, or in other words unsupervised and that's kind of the norm in california Um, however there are those exceptional cases where we've had um, for example abuse manipulation, domestic violence, or any other factors that the court might determine to be detrimental to the health and safety and welfare of the child. But on the other hand, the court does not want to exclude that parent completely from the child's life uh, because that also would have a long-term negative effects uh, on the child. So to ensure that the child still gets to spend time with the parent and, and has some sort of a relationship with the parent um the court would order monitored or supervised visitation in that kind of a scenario. The supervised parent would only get to see the child when there is a supervisor present during those visits uh which supervisor will be responsible um in ensuring that the child is safe and protected in um in Part of the cases, the monitor can be a relative that is approved by the custodial parent um, who is not subject to supervised visitation. Uh, In most cases, however, um, the parties are unable to agree on a monitor, or if they do agree, then the monitor might not be available. So in those cases, then the court would just order that the parent who is subject to the supervision um, hires a professional monitor. And in California, there's plenty of professional monitors, there's lists online, um, and there's court resources um, from which parties can select professional monitors. I see. Are are
0: the monitors expensive?
2: They can be, um, especially because the fees add up uh, most of the time. I think on average, the current price is approximately $40 an hour. Most of the time, the parents would get at least two hours at a time of monitored visitation, and if you have that visit once a week or or twice a week, or if the visitation is up to four hours, then it pretty quickly adds up
1: okay,
0: okay, uh, Raj, I have a question for you,
1: yeah,
0: um, what's your experience in family law cases with minors attorneys.
1: Um, that's a great question. I actually just recently had a case um here in Santa Monica where where a minors counsel was appointed. Um and in my experience they've they've actually been very beneficial. Um, I find that minors counsel are, are kind of appointed in two two real circumstances. Either the you know the children are too young to express what might be in their best interest mm-hmm. and so you need a neutral um neutral advocate for them. Or um the children are old enough to actually express uh you know how they're feeling and can convey that to the monitor and and don't feel the um emotional stress of expressing that to the court in front of the parents making either side feel bad. Um and in this particular case that I just finished, um the minors counsel was actually instrumental in um um ad in representing my client's position and sort of, um, acting as a very useful go-between, um, to allow the case to eventually, um, settle and get my client everything that they needed. So, um, I think they're a great asset to the court, um, and are, are, um, important to making sure that all parties in, in the case, uh, have a voice.
0: Okay. Very good.
1: I, I probably feel the same
0: way. Slavea, I would like you to stay on the line and Raj, stay on the line. Um, Slovea, if our listeners wanted to contact you via email, what's your email address?
2: My email address is slovea at vincentwdavis.com, and I'll spell that for you. It's s-l-a-v-e-i-a at vincentwdavis.com.
1: And Raj, what's
0: your email address? Uh,
1: Mine is also raj at vincentwdavis.com. Um, it's a short name, but some people spell it wrong, and it's R as in Robert, A as in Adam, J as in James, at VincentWDavis.com. Okay. Please stay on the line. I'm going to take a
0: couple more calls. I'm going to take a call with the area code 818 and ending in the two numbers, 3-6. Hello, you're on with Divorce and the Family Law Talk Radio. I'm attorney Vincent Davis. Who am I speaking to? Hello, is someone there?
4: Hello, Vince.
0: Yes, who am I speaking to?
4: With Helen, can you hear me?
0: I can hear you loud and clear and you're live on the radio. Thank Perfect. you for calling
4: Thank in. Today. You're Thank welcome. You for calling Thank in you so much for having me. I really i am um, honored. Thank you.
0: Um, did you call in to uh, ask us a question or tell us a story?
4: I am calling to share my story.
0: Okay, go ahead.
4: Um, so, uh, my, first and foremost, I I heard um, Slavea on as well, and I want to tell you guys always my 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 thank yous always um, for everything that you've done and are continuing to do. Um, so, my story is about uh, for your audience uh, with regards to something that started back in April of 2013 Um, I had received a phone call from a female who introduced herself as a DCFS worker um, and had uh, mentioned to me that my son I have two children, a son um, and a daughter, my son has special needs and she mentioned to me that my Mm -hmm. son had accused me of physically hurting him and that if he told um, that he would get in trouble and that I would continue to physically hurt him and his sister as well. Um, She said that I had two options, that because of these accusations that I had two options, the first being that I would give them to the state for the duration of this investigation and or to give them to their father. For the time being, um, explained to her that I did no such thing, do no such thing, and you know, proceeded to fall apart as any parent would, getting news such as what I had received. Um, I ended up calling dad and letting him know what you know I had just been informed of. So for the next um, for the next six months, I was asked to terminate child support i was i ended up transferring over my son's social security again he had special needs, and I was ordered to take parenting classes and in addition to anger management classes um the person that was in full control of what was to be done and wasn't to be done um was my ex husband for the remaining of these six months leading up to September in 2013, this social worker refused to meet with me to, you know, I offered for myself to go to her or to have anybody else if she couldn't come to me, um, meet me just to, to see how, who I was, what I was about. Um, because I do believe that that is, you know, protocol uh, now that I'm aware, I'm sorry for DCFS workers, (laughs) excuse me. Um, Over the course of these six months, I I did all that I was asked to do, and nothing made sense. I completely fell apart, and at the end of everything, I had received a packet of paperwork, what seemed to be legal paperwork, asking me to sign over all and any possible rights that a parent can sign over of their children. Um, And as I read it, I, again, proceeded to fall apart, and I had no other... um, I felt as if I had no options and I reached out to certain friends and those friends were absolute angels and blessings in disguise and I met up with them and they looked over the paperwork. They also agreed that it looked like it was bogus. So in the end, um, they asked me to go home and get some rest. They looked into it and from there we realized that it was all a fake, (laughs) There was no social worker by that name with the Department of Child Protective Services, and there was no case. Um, at the time, I didn't know what to look for and not to look for in the paperwork. Um, so after that, I was taken in to give my um, part of the story to, Hermosa, to the Permosa PD, and I ended up being told that all of it was a fake. At that point, I reached out to Vince, to his firm, and it was a Sunday, might I add. It was on a Sunday, and I w- I had the luck of getting a hold of him. And when I talked to Vince, he literally dropped everything. I believe he was helping a friend work at the not work. I'm sorry, move. And he took the time to come meet me, like, at the drop of a pin. Um, I briefly, I was talking a mile a minute, um, told him my story and what was going on. And so, again, that's why I give you my thanks always because you and your firm have been there every single step of the way. And through it all, um, we ended up going to court on an emergency ex parte where Vince's. we walked out with full custody of both my children. Dad was ordered uh, supervised visits by the state at his expense. And from there, all the legalities have been on the table, and Vince has been a guiding light all the way through. And Slavea as well um, – in the forefront of everything I've always felt very taken care of only on the legal standpoint but emotionally I I just could not ask for more and so I'm sharing my story and my kids are doing fantastic um academically their health emotionally so far through and through with the advice and the guidance of Vince W Davis's office I'm We are still here and we're doing great.
0: Well, Helen, thank you for those compliments and sharing your story. But just so our listeners know, what your ex husband did was have someone portray a social worker who made you change custody and give everything to the all custody to the father, made you stop child support. In other words, he was paying you to child support, made you stop made him allowed him to stop paying that child support and then on top of that was requiring they were requiring you to do some types of uh, counseling and parenting, right?
4: Correct. All of that is correct. Um it now I
0: remember, I go ahead.
4: Oh, yes, it was all a fraud. Everything from the first phone call to the last one, um, it was all a fake. um, There was several people involved, um, but because there was so much circumstantial evidence at the beginning, um, with your support and your legal advice, uh, the judge granted me everything that was or that is now.
0: Now and what do you have full custody of your children?
4: I not only have full custody, I have permanent custody um the verdict on our of, order is permanent
0: and what type of visitation does the ex your ex husband the father have
4: um for now uh he was granted at the beginning when this all came to light two days of supervised visitations at his expense from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. However, he wasn't following through, and there was a lot of inconsistency when he would um, visit with them and how he would let us know short notice or last minute, so to say. So now the most current order that was given is that he have every other weekend, Sunday only, um, between the hours of eight to eight PM and still at his expense. And because there was other people to be that were and are involved, they were also excluded completely from these visitations and or from the phone calls that I am to supervise myself on a nightly basis for fifteen minutes maximum.
0: Slave, are you still with us? Yes. Did you you remember this case?
2: Absolutely, I do.
4: Hi, uh, uh,
0: Hello.
4: <laughs> oh, hi. Thank you for the call, Of course, you guys are amazing.
0: Slovea, didn't the father and his attorney go back to court with it? Well, he got a new attorney, and they took took us back to court to try to change the custody and visitation
2: um what happened was initially um we got temporary orders pending uh, a parenting plan assessment which is uh, a psychological assessment of the parties and the children done by a court appointed evaluator um the father meanwhile did get a new attorney thinking that um that he I imagine he had a better chance with the new attorney. Um, so they refused to um, to really try to even come up with any reasonable settlement in light of the circumstances. Um, so they insisted on just basically moving forward with an evidentiary hearing. Um, and because of their unreasonable position, we, we had to just go ahead and, and move forward with that as well. So then we had an evidentiary hearing following the parenting plan assessment, um, and we, again, put on uh, a few witnesses. The other side put on a few witnesses, and the hearing went on for, I think, about four days. We had a separate day for closing arguments, and finally on the fourth afternoon we were able to get our court order Um, and we basically got everything that we wanted to get.
0: Which was full custody?
2: Which was uh, full custody. um, with supervised visitation to the father and um, more comments from the court and findings from the court that the father um, was basically involved with the fraudulent scheme, which possibly carries criminal consequences as well the father
0: you know i've been doing this a long time and i thought i had seen everything um but i had never seen anything like this where the you know the father one parent was uh or had or enlisted someone to be fake dcfs worker and, and to make the mother change custody but since this case I've gotten maybe two or three other calls where something similar to this has happened to other people. And I, you well, know, every time I think about it, yeah, every time I think about it, I'm just flabbergasted. Helen, um, thank you for calling in and sharing with us. I really appreciate it, and I hope the children are doing well.
4: They are, and thank you both again so very much. I appreciate and I'm beyond thankful for everything that both of you have done.
0: Thank you for calling in.
4: Thank you. Have a good
0: evening. You too. Raj, I have a question for you. The last caller mentioned uh, something about child support. Uh, Tell us how child support is figured in California.
1: Um, Child support is is done very interestingly in California. Um, it's basically um, all handled by a piece of computer software called the Disto Master or there's some people who use the software called xpouse but it's um, basically a plug-and-play system where you um, plug in factors, income, um, expenses, other factors relating to your ability to provide for the other person, the amount of visitation that you might have, um and you, know, you sort of plug it into the system and it renders a number. Now the court is not obligated to use it, um and it's called it's literally called a guideline. Um but it's a significant factor in deciding, you know, what party what's a reasonable request from either party um in making determinations of child support. Um you know, there's also several other factors that go into it, um, including, you know, the party standard of living and um you know sort of the lifestyle that they had um while the parties were together but um all of those end up in this computer software that um that gives you a conclusion
0: do you input
1: figures into this program what do you do um yeah i mean you know in a lot of cases the biggest point of contest um and and Vince, I think you can attest to this. We spent and surveyor too. We spent several hours uh, internally and externally um, going through iterations of of what of what numbers can be inputted. But um, the parties sort of do a financial assessment, and um, you can even have an evidentiary hearing on what numbers are inputted. But basically, each side puts in what they what they feel is is the appropriate amount, and then um, you know there are several. Uh, several slots where this could go and it's um you know very detailed um, input boxes and then it, it gives you a gives you a uh result.
0: When you said the the term evidentiary hearing, uh some mm-hmm. of our listeners may not understand what that is in in plain English, what does that mean?
1: Um an evidentiary hearing is a uh Court hearing in which either party puts on as puts on uh, a presentation of documents, um, evidence of um, you know pictures, whatever it might be, of of things that support their position. So, for example, in a child support case, what things that might be relevant are um, uh, tax filings, um, pay stubs bills, expenses other things that um that all affect your financial position um and it's a very intensive process you know people uh before they before they enter this this arena um are sort of going through their life and they don't necessarily know down to the dime what they're spending and what it costs to to execute their standard of living um but they get very detailed and 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 people literally battle over dollars and pennies um as to what the result might be.
0: I see. Now, this uh, master or ex-spouse um, computer program, how could our listeners uh, find that or get a copy for themselves?
1: There are um, sort of simplified versions of this. If you, if you enter, I think there's on the uh, Department of Child Support Services, they have a sort of simple calculator. That would allow you to get a sort of vague idea of what of what a court might decide um you know, but like I was saying it it's it can become a complicated process, and um a sort of miscalculation or or misinterpretation of what's a appropriate figure to be putting into these boxes can make can make huge differences um and so it's always encouraged that you um you know run these by by a legal professional to determine if you know sort of the work that you're doing on your own is is appropriate, or, or if, if a change can possibly be made.
0: Very good, very good. Um, what's the what's the least amount you've seen somebody pay in child support per month?
1: I, I mean, I've seen zero support orders, but <laughs> that's that's uh, that. that Sometimes is affected by um, other factors related to um, you know the other party's ability to to hold down a job. Um so you know there's there's the lowest I've seen is literally zero and and we've seen uh we've seen some that are very high. Um uh, if if our listeners want a good read, um, you know, go look up the the divorce case of uh um big uh, what was it, two and a half men actor, John Cryer, and you'll see how much he's paying and it's um it's astronomical. So um it can run the gamut from zero to thousands of dollars.
0: How much is John Cryer paying in child support? Uh,
1: it was a big battle. I I think at a certain point he was paying something like thirty thousand dollars a month. Um, if our listeners don't know, he you know he was making a million dollars an episode um, when he was on the show Two and a Half Men, um, and plus all the syndication it was in. So um, uh, he had a it, it was a big battle, and he ended up he ended up paying a lot. Parts of it got over, got reduced, and overturned. But uh, at a certain point, he was ordered to pay a large amount of money.
0: Wow, thirty thousand a month. Yeah, yeah. Well, you guys, we're running out of time right now for our first show. We have about uh, three minutes left, and there are some things that I want to go over with our listeners. First, I want to reiterate what I mentioned at the beginning of the show if you're involved in a family law case or a divorce case, um, we we highly recommend that you get experienced and expert legal representation or expert help. At least consult with an attorney. Uh, the second thing that I think that you should do is get the necessary information, whether you have a lawyer or not, about these types of cases. And again, at our website, um, you can download... Two of our free eBooks that I have written specifically for um, uh, parties uh, involved in these types of cases—they weren't written for lawyers. They were written for you know husbands and wives, mothers and fathers. And our divorce site um, that you can find these at uh, is www.californiadivorceattorney.co. That's correct. It's .co. California Divorce Attorney .co. The next thing that I would mention and advise people is um, make sure you have meetings with your attorney before the court hearing. Make sure that you know what's going on, and that you strategize with your attorney how you're going to handle this case. We offer services, legal services, to parties and participants in these types of cases. Um, The first type of representation we offer is full-scope representation, where we represent you in everything, and we take care of everything for you in the case. The second type of service that we offer is something called limited-scope representation. It's also known as bundled services in the legal community. Basically, there's a menu of services for you to pick and choose from, and you only pay for the services you order, and you only pay one time, no large bills at the each, at the end of every month. The third type of service that we offer is where you can um, come and meet with us either in person, on the phone, via Skype. You send us all of your documents, all of your minute orders, and we review and everything. We review everything, and we give you our opinion about um, what needs to be done in the case. Uh, Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week on the radio,
1: Wednesday
0: at 7 p.m.
2: With Lucky Land
4: Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone
1: seen the bride and groom?
4: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time.
1: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry.